Let's all stand together. Mark chapter 8. This leads into our passage today, Mark chapter 8. And I want to remind you of the way we do things around here. Um, We started in January with Mark chapter 1, verse 1, verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter. Uh, We do not do topical messages here. And so all that to say, we have landed at this passage by God's providence. Okay, that's important to note. Our topic today is not by accident. Uh, This is the Lord ordained. Okay, Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and went to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Don't, do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of leftover did you have? Did you collect? 12, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketful of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, do you understand yet? Today, I'd like for us to consider the difference between those who are eternally blind and those who are temporarily blind. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for my friends that have gathered here today. I'm so grateful for everybody that's here, everybody that's watching online. And Lord, I pray that you will have your way in this place. We dedicate this space to you. We declare that it's holy, it's anointed, it's set apart for your purposes, Lord, for your glory and for people's good. And so, Lord, I pray that you will speak through me. I pray that these words today are not my words, they're not my heart, they're your words and your, your heart. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, pray a prayer or something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I want to begin today by acknowledging something that is so important for us to understand, especially if we're going to really grab hold of this passage today. All human beings since the fall of Adam are born spiritually blind. We are all born into darkness. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person, the natural person, the person by nature, this is who they are. This is how they operate. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. By nature, we are spiritually blind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, in their case, the God of this age, that is Satan, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We have an enemy. We're born blind. We have an enemy that's trying to keep us blind. He doesn't want us to see who God is. He doesn't want us to see and know Jesus for who Jesus really is. Romans chapter one, verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress, they put on blinders, they shut their eyes to the truth. They don't want to see the truth since what can be known about God is evident among them. It's so obvious because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. 
You know that if you went to the gorge with us yesterday, right? If you braved the elements and then you got out there on the ledge, you got out there underneath of that arch that we, and you look at it, you say, well, only God can do this. Amen. You look at creation, you go to the Grand Canyon and you see how huge it is and you, how beautiful it is. And you can say, only God can do this. This is not by accident. It's obvious that there is a God. And because there is a God, there is a standard. There is truth. As a result, it's so obvious. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. By nature, we do not accept the things of God. By nature, we suppress the truth. By nature, our hearts are darkened. By nature, we are blinded by Satan. When we come out of the box, freshly wrapped in swaddling clothes, when we come out by default, our default setting is blind. It's spiritually blind. Now, this is such an important reality, such an important truth for all of us to grab a hold of because so many in our culture, maybe people even in our church, deny this reality. And if you deny this reality that you are born spiritually blind, you will never receive the fullness of God. You will never receive it. Let's look at our passage for today. Mark chapter 8, verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. The Pharisees, um, they are biblical scholars. Uh, They know the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They know the Bible better than any person in this room, better than any person you know. And so they have all the information. They have all the knowledge. Everything that you can know about God at that point, they know it. And still, they're asking Jesus for a sign. They ask specifically for a sign from heaven. In that day, there was a superstition among Jewish people. Uh, They kind of had this theology about signs. And signs fall into one of two categories for the Jewish person in this day. They thought there were signs of the earth and there were signs from heaven. The signs of the earth were, were things that you could manipulate the elements of the earth. And so maybe you make a, a, an axe head float on a lake. Uh, maybe you um, can turn uh, a healing miracle. Maybe you part the sea. Uh, in a Jewish mind, in these Pharisees' mind, those kind of miracles weren't that impressive. You remember in Exodus, Moses comes, he's got his staff, he comes before Pharaoh and he, he says, uh, he demands that Pharaoh let his people go. You remember this story. And, and in doing so, God give, gave Moses the authority to perform signs and wonders with the staff. You remember this. And so Moses, Pharaoh says, by what authority do you make this demand? And, and so Moses shows them some signs and wonders. And then what do Pharaoh's, uh, the people in his court, his magicians, what do they do? They replicate the signs. Exactly what Moses did with the staff, they did with their they're tricks. And so in the Jewish mind, uh, these earthly signs weren't that impressive because even people that worship demons could perform these signs. And so they asked Jesus, they say, give us a sign, not of the earth, give us a sign from heaven. In the same way, Elijah called down fire from heaven, call down fire from heaven. In the same way, Moses brought down bread from heaven, bring down bread from heaven. Do something that only a true man of God can do. I used to do this kind of thing. When I was a baby Christian, I used to play this game with the Holy Spirit. And there was something in my flesh that I wanted to do. 
But I knew it was kind of in that gray area. You know, it wasn't black and white, but it was in that gray area. But in my heart, I knew it was wrong. I knew in my heart, I knew God didn't want me to do it. But I play this game with the Holy Spirit. And I say, God, if you really don't want me to do this, I'm going to flip this quarter. And if it lands on heads, that means you really don't want me to do it. So I flipped a quarter and it would land on heads. And then I'd say to God, okay, two out of three. Y'all laugh because you've done probably something similar to that. The Pharisees are doing something just like that. They have all the knowledge. They have all the light. But people who deny their blindness are willfully ignorant. They're ignorant by choice. Think of all that Jesus had done just in the book of Mark. Remember at the end of John, John says of Jesus, if we wrote down all the signs and wonders that he did, we wouldn't have enough paper on the planet. You remember John said that? Even in the book of Mark, Jesus turns water into wine. He makes the blind to see, the deaf to hear. He's raising people back to life. He feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He's doing, remember there's this story where this man has this, this hand that's like shriveled up and Jesus makes the man's hand grow back right in front of their eyes. What more could Jesus do? Nicodemus, the ruler, one of the rulers, the leaders of the Pharisees, he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night and he says this, John chapter three, verse two, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. We, the Pharisees, we had a conversation. We acknowledge you have to come for God because no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with them. And so what we see here, Jesus, God in the flesh, the manifestation of of light. Jesus says of himself, I'll read this to you later. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Here is the light in its clearest representation that we'll ever see on this planet before Jesus comes back right there in front of the Pharisees. And they are still asking for more. They want another sign. John chapter one, verse nine, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. All the evidence is right there, but they don't want to believe. They don't want to see it. John chapter 3, verse 19, these are Jesus' words. Jesus says, this is the judgment. Here's the verdict. The light has come into the world. And people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. These Pharisees, they loved their self-righteousness. They loved their holier-than-thou spirit. They loved this spirit of superiority. They loved this idea that they had God in a box and they could, if they could manipulate God, they loved their sin more than they loved the light. And so they refused to see Jesus for who he really was. Matthew Chapter 16, that's a parallel passage. It's the same story, a different author of this same event. Matthew adds this detail. The Pharisees and the Sadducees approached Jesus and tested him, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. And so here's another thing that people who deny their blindness, here's another thing they'll do. They will partner with darkness. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they hated each other. They were oil and water. They were, they were, the Pharisees were legalists. The Sadducees were liberals. The Pharisees were super spiritual. The Sadducees denied that there was a spiritual world. The Pharisees hated the Romans. The Sadducees buddy-buddied up to the Romans. They loved the Romans. 
These two people, these two groups could not be any different. They were always button heads. They hated each other so much, but they had one thing in common. They hated Jesus more. They hated the light. John chapter three, verse 20. For everyone who does evil hates the light. If you do evil, you will hate the light and you will avoid it so that his deeds may not be exposed. These two partners who for centuries were constantly fighting could not get along. They had one thing in common. They hated everything Jesus stood for. Take note, my friends, in our world today, who is universally hated? What do the LGBTQ plus and Black Lives Matter and Antifa and Facebook and Taliban, what do they all have in common? They all hate Christianity. What's that tell you? If you confront people in their sin, they'll step away from the light. If you confront the darkness in this world, they'll step away. They'll run away from the light. They'll stop coming to church. They'll stop reading the Bible. They'll stop praying. They'll stop coming around you because now all of a sudden you are a threat to the darkness in them. They'll find partners in darkness. They'll run away from you. They'll run away from the light and they'll run into the darkness. They'll find other people that will agree with them. They'll call their buddies up and they'll say, can you believe that hypocrite called me out on that? Don't throw stones in a glass house. That's what they'll say. They'll go on social media and they'll find their little godless little echo chambers of all the people that agree with them and affirm the evil and the sin that they're living in. People that deny their blindness are willfully blind and ignorant and they'll seek affirmation of their darkness. Mark chapter eight, verse 12, sighing deeply in his spirit. Sighing deeply in his spirit. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the deaf and mute man. It was kind of a weird story. Jesus put his fingers in that man's ear and he spit on his tongue. It was kind of a weird deal. And you remember in the midst of their story, there's this beautiful thing where Jesus sighs. And it was a sigh of, of pain that Jesus, he, he sympathizes with this man and this man's pain and all the trouble that he's had throughout his whole life. And in sympathy, Jesus sighs. It shows compassion and consideration. It's the same word Mark uses here. But it's compounded. He sighs, not just sighs, he sighs deeply. Jesus hurts deeply for those who are spiritually blind. He looks at these Pharisees that have the Old Testament memorized from cover to cover. They should know God better than anybody. And right before their eyes is the manifestation of the greatest good. There, the light of the world is right in front of them in the flesh and they can't see it. And what is Jesus's response to these people who are so spiritually blind? Their hearts are so hard. What is his response? He hurts deeply for them. Luke chapter 19, verse 41 and 42, Jesus approaches Jerusalem. This is the city of God. These are people that they should be closer to God than anybody, but their hearts are hard. As Jesus approaches the city, he sees it and he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus says, it's right there in front of you. Here I am, the Savior of the world, and you not only reject me, you despise me. You're going to have me killed. And his heart 
breaks for them. God does not desire that any should perish, but that all would find eternal life. That's God's heart. But, but, look at Mark chapter 8, verse 12. He sighed deeply, but look what he says. Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. In the Greek, this, this reads much more strongly. Reads more like this. Jesus says, I'll die before I perform another miracle for you. Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, Matthew adds this detail. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, Jesus says, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? In the same way Jonah was in the belly of a well for three days, Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days. Jonah was spit up on the shore. Jesus came back to life. That's the sign of Jonah. And so Jesus says, the only sign that I will give the spiritually blind from here on out, the only sign that I will give, I lived, I died, I rose again. If a man, if a man years in advance predicts his future, goes on to be publicly executed, buried in the ground, and three days later comes back to life, and he called it before it happened? If a man pulls that off, guess what? I'm going with whatever that man says. Right? That's what makes sense. That's the end of the debate on all things concerning life and righteousness. Once Jesus resurrected from the grave, the debate about gender, about sexuality, about your finances, about gluttony, about pride, about your lying, about whatever sinful lifestyle, life choices that you want to make, the debate on life and righteousness was settled. Whatever Jesus says is true, it is true. Amen? There's no more debate. There's no more dialogue. The evidence for that fact is the empty grave. And listen, friends, if the resurrected Christ isn't enough for you, there is no hope. Look at verse 13. Then Jesus left them, got back into the boat, and went to the other side. This is the last time that he was in this region. This was their last chance to receive the light. Got in the boat, and he left. This is the fate of everyone who denies their blindness. If you deny your blindness, you will never see. If you deny your need for a Savior, you will never be saved. Jesus left them. They had their chance. They saw the light on full display. And after seeing all the signs and all the wonders and all the consideration and all the compassion, after seeing God in the flesh, they still despised him. They still rejected him. And so Jesus left. Here's an important teaching that many churches today don't speak about enough. God isn't going to put up with your rebellion forever. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit will not strive with mankind forever because they are corrupt. This was in the time of Noah. 
Noah preached, the Bible says, for 120 years as he was building the boat. People were coming up and saying, what are you doing, Noah? Why are you building this boat? We've never seen a boat. Why, why are you building a boat? We don't live anywhere near the sea. And Noah said, you better repent. You better repent or you're going to be judged. Repent and be saved. 120 years, Noah preached. And for 120 years, the people of Noah's day despised and rejected the truth. And what happened after 120 years? It started to rain. And then the people from Noah's day, they started gathering around the boat. They started lining up to the boat. But once they got to the boat, you know what they found? Noah didn't do this. You know what they found? They found that God had closed the door. God closed the door. Abraham pleaded with God six times for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Six times he pleaded. He said, God, please, please don't bring judgment. Please don't bring your wrath. And God, six times he relented. At the end, God said, just find me 10 righteous men. But those righteous men were nowhere to be found. And so what happened after the sixth time? God sent fire from heaven, and these men and women died in the darkness. John the Baptist preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Look what he says, Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Listen, my friends, God is long-suffering with us, but he is not eternal suffering with us. Keep playing around with Jesus. Keep playing around in your sin. Keep living a life of rebellion, and eventually God will leave you to deal with the negative consequences of your sinful choices, and then it'll be too late. And so may we be like the disciples because the disciples are just like us. That's one thing I love about reading the New Testament is because I read the New Testament and over and over again, I'm like, these guys are idiots, right? They are so dumb and they're always doing dumb stuff and they're always saying dumb stuff. I relate to that. I relate to that. And so we've got blind spots. We have mistakes. Sometimes our daughters have to call us out, right? But here's the thing with the disciples. They were humble enough to stay and be taught. John, or or, or Mark chapter 8, verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. The disciples are, are like many of you, even in this moment, you're looking past this sermon, you're thinking about what's for lunch. Verse 15, then Jesus gave them strict orders. Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He says, watch out, take your blinders off, open your eyes, don't be blind to this, caution, danger, don't mess around with it. There's this leaven. Now, leaven is just a little bit, just a little bit of stuff that you put in bread, it makes the bread rise. It affects the whole bread. Just a little bit affects the whole bread. And Jesus is talking about, he's talking about worldview. The Pharisees had a worldview. The Herodians had a worldview. We talk a lot about worldview in this church and people get angry. Jesus, or they said, Jeff, why do you always talk about LGBTQ stuff? Why are you always talking about progressive wokeism? And why are you always talking about all this stuff that's like, you know, it feels kind of political. It feels kind of, you know, why don't you just stick to Jesus loves you? Why don't you just stick to that? And here's the reality, friends. All these things, progressive wokeism is the leaven of our day. 
It's the leaven of our day. And just a little bit gets into your worldview. And I know, here's the thing. It sounds right. It sounds right. How can you argue with some of this stuff? How can you argue? Because it's marketed so well. The enemy is the master of lies. He's the master of deception. And so it sounds right. But it's anti-Bible. It's anti-gospel. And so I speak up about it. In the same way Jesus is speaking up about the Pharisees. He's like, it sounds right what they're saying. But I'm telling you, it's leaven and it's going to ruin you. It sounds like what the Herodians are saying. The Herodians are saying, well, the key to success, if we're going to redeem our world, if we're going to redeem our tribe, if, if we're going to get to a better place, the Herodians say, we need political power. We need a revolution. We need to overthrow the Roman Empire. And so this leaven creeps into the disciples. And what happens when they come and arrest Jesus in the middle of the night? What does Peter do? He acts like a Herodian, pulls the sword out, cuts off a man's ear. Jesus is like, no, that's not what I'm about. That's not where our kingdom is going. You've missed the point. And so Jesus is teaching them so important, something so important right now. This is something they've got to grab hold of. Or this leaven is going to get in and it's going to mess up the whole batch. And in the midst of one of the most important teachings that Jesus is going to give his disciples, look, verse 16, they were discussing among themselves why they did not have any bread. Peter turns to John, punches him in the arm, and says, I can't believe you forgot all those leftovers. That's what they do. This is us. This is us. So many times, our brothers and sisters in Christ, they bring the truth. So many times you sit under a sermon. So many times your your light, a light is shined in the dark place of your life, and you look past, you look past this important teaching. You look past this important opportunity of growth to something that is so much less important. Verse 17, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? Do you not remember? This is what true friends will do. True friends will love you enough to tell you the truth. When the Bible says speak the truth in love, when the Bible says that, it doesn't mean that everything you say is that, that you're never going to say things that are hurtful. Sometimes the, hurt, the truth hurts. You tracking with me? When it says speak the truth in love, it, what it means is that you love somebody enough to tell them the truth. Jesus will not allow his disciples to not hear him. He's determined that they get this. And so he gives them a hard truth. And listen, Jesus isn't gentle with his disciples here. He says to them, are you dull? Are you hard of hearing? Are you blind? You're just like the Pharisees. You're just like the Herodians. Wake up. This is serious. And then he reminds them of something. Now, for them, this is a reminder of their recent past, their history, stuff that's happened in in the last few months in their life. But for us, this is a reminder of the Scriptures. This is a reminder of of Mark chapter 6, of Mark chapter 8, verse 19. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketful of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, do you still not understand? 
You still don't get it? The same guy, this is what Jesus is saying, the same guy who was on the hill feeding the 5,000 with the five loaves is the same guy who's in the boat with you right now. You don't have to worry about the bread. You don't have to focus on that. Focus on this truth that I'm giving you. The same guy who calmed the storm, the same Jesus who calmed the storm is the same Jesus that sent the storm, that flooded the earth, that killed every man, woman, and child is the same Jesus that gave them 120 years to repent. The same Jesus who rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace is the same Jesus who who sent fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah, is the same Jesus who gave them six times to repent. The same Jesus who said, and this is people that are spiritually blind, people who are living, they love their sin more than they love Jesus, this is one of their favorite verses. Let the one without sin cast the first stone. The same Jesus who said, let the one without sin cast the first stone, also said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Also said of Judas, it would have been better if you were never born. Will also say to many professing Christians, depart from me. I never knew you. It's the same Jesus. The same Jesus who died on the cross for the sins of those who would believe is the same Jesus who will come back and judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not shift like a shadow. Jesus has not progressed. He has not changed his mind. He has not changed his opinion on certain things. His words, his commands, his standards, his way is the same today as it was on that day when they were sitting in the boat. Jesus hasn't changed. And so it isn't for us to demand an answer from God. It isn't for us to argue with Jesus. Show me a sign, they say. Show me a sign from heaven prove to us that you have the authority. No, no, no. I heard somebody say the other day, a professing Christian, I know the Bible says, but no, no, no. The Bible says, period. Be reminded today, Jesus doesn't owe you an answer. It is you who will answer him. Jesus says to you today, I gave you 12 baskets of bread and fish. I gave you seven baskets of bread and fish. I came and I forgave every one of your sins. I redeemed you. I gave you a heavenly inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. I filled you with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Every hole that you dug yourself into, I pulled you out. Now, what did you do with it? What did you do with it? I blessed you in every way. I gave you the light. And you're running back to the darkness? I gave you the light. And you want to go play around in the darkness? Don't you understand? Jesus isn't your buddy. Jesus isn't a genie in a bottle. Jesus doesn't exist for you. Jesus is God. 
He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. It isn't to us to argue with him. It isn't to us to demand an answer from him. It is to us to get on our knees and worship him. It's what you were created for. And anything less than that, listen to me, my friends, and I know this is hard. Anything less than that is living in the dark. Anything less than that leads to ruin. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. It's me. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of the world. The light of life. You notice Jesus didn't say one of the. There is only one way to look at the world in which it will make sense. There is only one way to navigate this world in which you will not be overcome by darkness. There is only one way and his name is Jesus. And listen, friends, Jesus has decided to reveal himself to us by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Bible. Not through your feelings, not through what's culturally relevant or trending, not through what your favorite blogger says. The Bible says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Line yourself up to his word. This is the light of life. And so if we're going to truly follow Jesus, if we're going to walk in the light, if we're going to have the light of life, I think there's two things that we all need to focus on, especially me. Number one, assume that you have blind spots. When people confront me about my sin or my shortcomings, my natural reaction is to get defensive. Anybody else? Shift the blame, minimize the offense, Sometimes I like to play the what about game. You ever play that? Somebody will confront me and say, um, you know, I have concerns about your pride. And I'll say, well, you know, what about your stupid haircut? What about that? Let's talk about that for a few minutes. But we have to come to terms with the fact we're born blind. That was your default setting. And you have an enemy that wants to keep you blind. None of you in this room, I hate to tell you, none of you are perfect. None of you have arrived. None of you have figured all out. None of you are fully enlightened. If you don't believe me about any of that, ask your spouse, ask your siblings, they will set you straight. And so when someone shines the light on what they perceive to be darkness in your life, when someone makes you aware of a perceived sin or a shortcoming, assume first that there may be truth to what they're saying. Let's start with that assumption. Now, sometimes you got to consider the source. I think it's important to say that because there's some nasty people out in the world, right? And sometimes nasty people are going to say anything and everything they can say to hurt you. Sometimes there's people that will say things out of anger that they don't really mean. 
Sometimes you're in an abusive relationship and people just try and control you with their hurtful words. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a boss. And so you could cure cancer and this person would still tell you you're an idiot, right? So you got to consider the source. But a lot of times when somebody shines the light into the darkness of our life, a lot of times instead of searching to see if there's any truth to what they're saying, we automatically reject it. Friends, that's a mistake. Now, sometimes you're going to find out in a hard way. Sometimes people are going to, they're going to shine the light into your darkness in a way that's not right. Maybe they're talking about you behind your back. Maybe they say it in a way to hurt you. But still, but still, even if it comes from a toxic source, even if it comes in a negative way, sometimes still you need to pray, Holy Spirit, is there any truth to what they're saying? Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Help me to see any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Help me, Lord, to see my blind spots. Start there. Start with the assumption that you have blind spots. Here's the other thing I would encourage you with. Allow people to shine the light in your blind spots. Assume that you have blind spots. Allow people to shine the light in your blind spots. You need, if you're going to become the person God created you to be, if you're going to walk in the light, you need trusted mentors and peers in your life that you have given permission to tell you the truth even when it hurts. That's, that's the difficult part about um, the way that we're supposed to do church in the modern era. You see, a lot of people, they ask me the question. They say, well, what's the, what, why do I even need to come to church? You know, it's just, I just go and you sit and you sing and you hear a sermon and you go home. Like, what's the big, I can do all that online. Much better preachers than you. Why do I need to come to church? I can watch, uh, I, don't, I don't even want to say anybody. Uh, I, can, I can watch much better preachers, much better musicians, much better lights, much better production. I can do all that online. Why do I need to come to church? Part of being in a church is that you've got people that are going to keep you accountable. We've lost that in this day and age. We've got a bunch of Christians that are consumers. That's what we have. Not people that are committed to a church family. Not people that are committed to becoming who God created them to be. And so this is what happens. This is why church discipline is impossible in 2021. The moment that the leaders of the church shine the light on the darkness in someone's life, instead of them submitting to that authority, instead of them praying, Holy Spirit, is there any truth to that? They go and find another church. When I was in youth ministry, I had a couple, they were, they were engaged, and they were one of my youth leaders, a couple of my youth leaders, and they were great. They were awesome with the youth. But I found out they were living together. So I came to them, and I said, listen, this, this lifestyle is contrary to our values. And as a leader, you represent our church. And so you are communicating to our young people who are still trying to figure out, they're still trying to figure out relationships. They're still trying to figure out sexuality. You're communicating to them that this behavior is all right. On top of that, you are dishonoring what God has called you to. 
to keep the marriage bed holy and pure. And so I'm going to give you two options. Number one, you guys move out. One of you find another place to live. Or two, you step down from leadership. What was their response? They left. I called. I texted. I emailed. They never talked to me again. Now, if you are sitting in this church for any extended period of time, me and Dave and Gerald, as the overseers of this church, we are assuming that you are giving us permission to speak the hard biblical truth into your life. When it comes to every area of your life, your marriage and your finances and your attitude and your sexuality, and every little corner that you can think of because the Bible has something to say about all of it. Now, listen, we're not going to be right all the time. I don't have perfect theology. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Dave doesn't have perfect theology. Gerald doesn't have perfect theology. But I'll tell you this, we're doing our very best to be biblical. We're doing our very best to be biblical. Now, some of you, you hear that. And it crawls all over you, the thought that you would submit to our leadership in every area of your life. And so if that's you today, I want to say this with all due respect and in the most loving way I can say it. If that's you and you could never bring yourself to be led by us, then you need to find another church. Now, I say that with all the love that I can say it. This isn't a my way or a highway. Don't get me wrong. It's not that. If you have concerns, if you have questions, if you have doubts, if there are some, some blind spots in our leadership, we want you to come. And I feel like we're fairly receptive to those conversations. So this isn't about a my way or a highway. This isn't to say we're always right. It's not to say that. It is to say this. You need somebody that's going to help keep you accountable. You need somebody in your life that you trust and you respect and you love enough that you're going to allow them to tell you the truth even when it hurts you, even when it cuts you to the heart. And if we haven't earned that right, and you've been here for long enough, we haven't earned that right, then please find somebody that has earned that right. Find somebody that will earn that right. I want you to take note of one of the key differences between the Pharisees and the disciples in this story. Jesus left the Pharisees and they stayed on the shore. They didn't get in a boat and run after him. Why? Because he didn't give them what they wanted. The disciples, on the other hand, Jesus lays into them. What did they do? They stayed. They stayed. Don't jump ship just because we're speaking to you hard biblical truth. Instead, pray. Holy Spirit, is there any wicked way in me? Teach me, mold me, shape me, even when it hurts. Purify me, cut me to the heart. May I be ruined so that I become who you created me to be. Take inventory, my friends. Each and every one of us in this room, we still have work to do. We still have areas where we can grow. We still have blind spots. Some of you in this room, you've been confronted 
on some of these blind spots. Somebody that, that you respect, somebody you love, maybe multiple people, they've shined some lights into some dark places in your life, and many of you have rejected it. You threw it away. You didn't pray. You didn't consider. You didn't try and change. You rejected it. That's the heart of the Pharisee. That's the heart of the person who denies their blindness. Don't be like that. That attitude leads to ruin. We're going to sing a song. And as we do, I want, I want you to be reminded of the body and blood of Christ, broken for you, the blood spilled for you. And I also want to encourage you, if you're here today and the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about some darkness, come and bring it at the altar. If you're here today and you're carrying a burden that's too heavy for you to carry, come and bring it at the altar. You need to talk to somebody. You can talk to Dave. You can talk to Gerald. You can talk to me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. It is a light. It is the truth. Lord, your way is the right way. Help us to come up underneath that. Help us to trust your authority, your leadership. Help us to submit to you as our king. Remind us today of all of the basketfuls of blessings that you have given us and help us, Lord, more and more to trust you in the way that you're leading us. Lord, if there's any person in this room who's far from you, if there's any person in this room who has not surrendered to you as Christ, help them to understand we are in the days of Noah and eventually your patience runs out. And so, Lord, I pray that people repent. I pray that people will be cut to the heart. I pray they'll surrender their life to you and that you will fill them with the light of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together and sing.